radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to a very special episode of Agile FM today. I have Ron Jeffries with me. Uh, Ron Jeffrey, as many, many know, is a signatory of the Agile Manifesto. You can reach him at Ron Jeffries in one thing, no spaces, and then ronjeffries.com is his website. Obviously, he wrote trend-setting books such as Extreme Programming, installed in 2000. Uh, I remember that book when it came out, and The Nature of Software Development in 2015. Welcome to the podcast, Ron. Thank you very much. I would... Uh much too strong an introduction. It may set people's expectations poorly. <laughs> well, um, Ron, there is something I, I googled before with the, with the books. I just wanted to get the titles of the book right. And there is actually another author with the name Ron Jeffries out there. And uh, he wrote a book called A Slice of That and a Bit of That. That could be yours. Well, it isn't. I don't, I'm, and I'm not aware of that uh, book. I should probably look it up and doesn't it, the, the title already sound agile? Is there something? It kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, right? So, but anyway, uh, you wrote a blog post, and I just want to have, we could talk about so many topics here today. Uh, there's an endless repertoire of uh, posts and tweets and everything, but there's one that stands out to me. I saw recently, it's the Agile Ecology blog post. Um, where you just talked about um, Scrum and coaches and everything more focusing on the problems which you refer to as dark scrum. What's dark scrum? For some listeners might not be familiar with that term. Well, dark scrum is the, uh, the term I've invented for scrum that, that goes wrong. And of course, I could just as well have invented dark agile, although I think dark scrum sounds nicer. Um, it, as I roll around on the internet and Twitter and conferences and all those places, um, I see so many reports of teams that are trying to do scrum, trying to be agile, and it just goes very, very badly. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to do and the way I try to do things is I write about them and see if I can get my thoughts to come together and then people respond and tell me what I should think and so on. I've been trying to, to see what sort of things are behind that, what sort of things go wrong, um, and to try to take a look at what might be done about it. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, think, I think every set of ideas always goes through transitions where there's a lot of enthusiasm about it, and then a lot of people get interested in it, and then it starts drifting off course and so on. Right. And, and that's certainly happening in a lot of ways with Agile, as we might talk about. Mm -hmm. But I, I would like for that not to happen. I would like for the good that the good ideas that are in there to to be able to go forward and to and to to, to help people. Right. Like what? In particular, in particular, if I may, um, I, I remember a long time ago, Kent Beck said that he invented extreme programming to make the world safe for programmers. Mm. And w one of the things that seems to have happened is that as Scrum gets adopted, I made air quotes there, as Scrum gets adopted, 
all too often it turns out to be uh, almost oppressive on the development team, which is, the, to me, the target of, of all of the Angel ideas. And, uh, and I would like to help people not suffer that. I'd like to help have teams know what to do, even if, even if Scrum's not being applied correctly, mm-hmm. and how to, you know, how to make their lives better. All right. So one of the things, I mean, you're both Kent Beck and, and you with the books and extreme program, you're, you're trend setting in, in that part of the agile community. Um, there, there's no question about it. And one thing that really stands out to me is uh, also in your blog post is the piece of refactoring. And what you just said was it really triggers something when I work with teams. The, I don't know, maybe that's just me personally feeling it when I work with teams, but the refactoring seems to be an overhead or seems to be something that is taking time away or inefficient or takes time away from other things. And was refactoring is an integral part of, you know, good software development. Why, why do you think that is? Or do you share that thought, first of all? Well, I certainly see people saying it and saying that uh, we can't refactor because they won't let us and we can't refactor because we've got too many things to get done and, and so on. Mm. I think that there probably are a, a number of reasons at play, but I think one one key issue there is that if you don't really know how to do it, if you don't really know how to refactor and you don't really, for that matter, maybe know everything that, that you'll know in another five years about design, that you leave it too long, that it's that it's a, it takes a while before you realize that the design has gone bad, and then it seems like, oh, this thing is really horrible, mm. and the only choice is to rewrite it because it's so horrible. And the truth is that clean code makes us go faster. And it's almost impossible to make the code too clean. I mean, certainly you could sit there and mm. just polish it and say, well, I still don't like that variable name. I think I'll spend another couple of hours thinking of a better variable name and sort of never do anything. But we're most of us under enough time pressure, even if it's our own project, that that we aren't going to sit and do that. Mm. And any reasonable improvements to the code will make us go faster tomorrow. And more to the point, if we leave the code grubby today, it will definitely slow us down tomorrow. Right. So what happens is that people don't know how to make little changes that make the code a little better. Instead, the only things they they yet know how to do, in just from inexperience, is they can see how to do big changes to make the code better. Right. We, if we took out this whole subsystem and rewrote it, it would be fine. Mm. Well, you obviously can't do that, and nobody's going to let you do that. And so I think they get in trouble because... They haven't yet learned that you can do things in little tiny steps. And so it makes you feel like we're going to have to stop programming for a while so that we can, you know, so that we can quote refactor where what they really mean is so that we can rewrite it. Right. Well, exactly. That, that is the term, right? So there is a piece that is not acceptable anymore in terms of code. When change occurs, that has to be totally rewritten and that should be refactoring. Whereas this thing should be happening on an ongoing basis in very small pieces. You make a reference to Martin Fowler's um, literature there as well, but how could we kill this myth? I mean, like, and how can we, like, what, what's missing right now, in your opinion, that, that developers act like this? And why we're not getting better in the software, especially in the software um, industry, 
um, about that thing that we're pushing back or what's what's the problem? Well, I don't know that I that I would even say there is the problem, but there but there certainly are some problems. Okay. Um, one issue is that everyone who wants software written, you know, really wants it now, and they really they really are in a in a hurry for it, and perhaps perhaps even legitimately. Mm-hmm. And so the people who have taken on these programmers uh, put them under pressure or instill in them a spirit of how important it is to get this done. And so they try really hard to go really fast to really get this done. And when you try really hard to go really fast, you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, that, I think that is in there. I think that, that historically people who have been trained, uh, educated in software are very likely to have been educated in uh, what we call improperly the waterfall mentality, but the notion that you're really supposed to design this thing and then somehow it seems like you just create a perfect program and maybe test it for a couple of days and then everything's going to be fine. Um, and they do not get training in incremental software development. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't ever have experience in starting from nothing and having a little something tomorrow that actually works, and then something a little better the day after, right. and a little better the day after. And Scrum and Agile put you in a situation where you sort of have to do that. And if the if that has come from your company, your company says, we here are doing Scrum, then they will be meeting with you every week or two to, to, to have you select what to do, by which I mean they'll probably tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll sort of have to do it, and then the next week there'll be more stuff, and the next week there'll be more stuff, and you've never learned how to do that in an orderly fashion that, where you keep things clean enough and smooth enough that you can keep going forward. And so the pressure gets higher and higher, the work gets harder and harder, uh, the code gets worse and worse, and you, you have no no real opportunity to learn. Right. The technical debt is increasing, right? So there, there's another word you used in, in this blog post, maybe these two things are um, actually related. I want to check with you. Uh, it's actually a fine humor you have in, in, in your writing, and that is because I went over the sentence, it's like, hold on, what is he writing about? It's like it was the code mines, and I was really in the coal mines. But there is, but obviously, right? So there is. A, there comes a when you when you read these pieces, there comes a piece of factory, like software development as a as a factory approach uh, to it. Is that what you had in mind? It is, and uh, and uh, as it happens, I have visited a number of insurance companies in Ohio, which there happened to be, mm-hmm. and so that that fact came to mind and mind and. Uh, you know the work the work of a of a large company with a lot of software people is there's a lot to do they they have great needs and they're always trying to come up with you know new policies and trying to find new ways to analyze how to pay out or you know all the things that that the companies do and I was reminded as I was sort of writing in this little part of it of a scrum class that we got to teach at a at some insurance company somewhere, and they 
they, they had filled it completely, so there must have been 24 people in the class, or maybe they even crammed in a few extras. And the class was held on an, in approximately the fifth sub-basement of this building in a completely windowless room um, that was smaller than my living room. Oh, wow. With 24 people packed into it in, the, in those, those little school desks, you know, that have the little arm that comes mm-hmm. out of the, oh, that. The, where you could write on. Mm-hmm. And all these people were crammed into this room. Um, every now and again, somebody would get called out of this very important training because there was some bug they had to fix or some issue that they had to deal with. And then they would come back, maybe after a while, sometimes they didn't come back at all. And it was, we did our best, and I, and I trusted, since it was Chet and me teaching the class, we were probably pretty entertaining. But it was horrible. Of course, yeah. And to me, it tells you a lot about the way those people were treated every day. Mm-hmm. If, you know, everybody said, well, we have to get these people trained, and so let's put them in, in the worst room in the building. No. <laughs> I just, it was the best available room in the building for this, yeah. for this purpose. And so that just kind of got that metaphor into my mind. And then, of course, as I do, I just ran with it. Yeah, of course. Um, That's awesome. But, there's a, but I think there's a real truth there, which is that, that when Scrum goes dark, when Agile goes dark, it turns into a very oppressive, uh, horrible, horrible situation where people can't uh, can't even find the time to pull out of it and can't uh, can't really uh, do anything other than just kind of put up with it. And that's not what we had in mind when we wrote the Agile Manifesto. All right, we're just talking about the the insurance company, um, the the. The, the code mine and many of those insurance companies are large in size many of them use safe for example um, how what's what's the impact on like having it working in an environment like this what you just described and I would totally share that with the experiences I have in my career but now you're adding another layer of of a process in this case safe on top of it what's the impact on that on dark scrum for you well I should say that I have taken the SAFE course, but I think it was version three and now SAFE is up to version four. Mm-hmm. And people I respect tell me that it's more agile than it was. Um, I found good things in SAFE. Um, one of the things I like best about it is that up at the top in the portfolio or whatever they call that area, um, they talk explicitly about limiting the work that you give people to do, about making decisions about what to do and more importantly, what not to do, so that you aren't just trying to do everything in the world in parallel. And there's no doubt that, that from the viewpoint of, a, of an organization trying to build things, that if you limit the work, you, the work will get done faster. If I try to do 10 things this week, mm. I'll probably only get 10% of each one of them done. If I try to do one thing this week, I might get it done. Mm-hmm. So I think that's good. Um, there were things about it that I didn't like. People can search for SAFE on my website and find find some of the articles I've written about it. Um, there were things about it that seemed not so very 
agile mm -hmm. at that time. And again, I've been told it's improved and maybe it has. Um, but I think the a thing that was most striking is that SAFE actually says right there in the slides that everybody should be trained. And it really says everybody should be trained. And it says right there in the slides that at the bottom where the development teams work, they're supposed to do Scrum plus XP. Mm -hmm. Now, I think Scrum plus XP is the best team-oriented way of doing software that I have ever seen in over a half century of software development. So I think that's a – I could ask for nothing better than to say your team should be doing Scrum and XP. Right. In this class that I was in, there were companies, a whole bunch of companies from all around, and we asked whether any of them were training their developers in Scrum plus XP, and none of them were. Hmm. So I think that if – it's like everything else. And this is true for Scrum. It's true for Agile in general. If people would do what people said to do, they would do better. And a lot of a lot of these things that go wrong are coming about because the perfectly good advice is being ignored. Mm -hmm. And and then you blame the thing. You say agile is no good because you know we tried safe and 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 the people weren't any happier. Well, okay, but did you actually do everything that said like train everybody and did you really? Uh, you know, to really carry out all these things. Um, now, I would, I would. This reminds me of a thing that I, that I want to touch on. Um, I am not a fan of agile transformations in big companies. Um, with whether they do it with Safe, whether they did it with uh, some other approach, even my favorite, I guess, might be less. But, mm. uh, but I'm, I'm not very much in favor of that because I think a top-down approach is sort of exactly what we were not talking about when we said individuals and interactions. Okay. And my favorite model of how you build up Agile is the fluency model from Diana Larson and Jim Shore. And they really start by talking about what can your teams do? And that you can't really even do uh, large-scale Agile until you have small-scale teams that can actually deliver software on a, on a regular cycle. Mm -hmm. Now, I spoke uh, to that same topic in my book, The Nature of Software Development, um, and I don't know, I don't play my, made up the idea, and I don't remember whether I had read the fluency stuff at that time or not, but I have the same view, that if you're going to really do Agile software development, people are really going to develop software, you know, in two-week size chunks that, that are shippable every That's time, right. mm -hmm. there is stuff you have to learn. Um, I learned a lot when, you know, in the middle, of, when I was kind of in the middle of all of this Agile stuff coming around. And I had, at that time, I think 35 years of what I think was very thoughtful software development, uh, programming and management. And I, I, you know, had read all the different books on how you do things. I had tried all the different approaches, structured programming, and you know all that stuff. Um, and there was so much new in wow. the way that people like Ward Cunningham and Kent Beck and those guys approached things that were just fascinatingly more powerful and made things go so much better. And it wasn't something I learned overnight. It wasn't something I learned in 90 days. 
That's right, yeah. It was something that, that took years, and there's things I still discover. And there's things that other people are discovering now that, that have been made possible because of newer technologies and different languages and the cloud and all of these things that we couldn't do then because the, even, you know, even just 20 years ago, the, the computers weren't up to it, the software wasn't up to it to the degree that they are today. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, to me, I, I think there's a lot of learning that needs to be done down at the bottom so that the teams can do what Scrum or Safe or any of those methods call upon them to do. And until they learn that, those methods can really only turn into uh, only mm. only turn into oppression. Right. And what is distressing to me is, at the same time, a company that undertakes some iterative approach, be it Safe or Scrum or whatever, the company will probably see some benefits because they will become more clear about what they're asking to have done. They will become more clear about how well or how poorly it's going. They will learn to limit their work in process and the company will begin to see, uh, typically begin to see some improvement. Mm -hmm. And so the danger is the company says, hey, we're kind of happy we're doing this. And meanwhile, they're not doing 10% of what they could and their people have been put into this cycle where it used to be, you know, in the old days when we did software, they would tell me what had to be done and it was still just as impossible as it is today, but I had months to do it. Yeah. Now, if if you don't know how to go into a scrum situation, you have two weeks to do it. Right. And that's where the <laughs> you know, so the pressure is just immense. Yeah. You know, because you you know, you you know a six month project you usually lay back for the first three months. <laughs> and now you have to get it done and lay back. Well, the, the funny thing is, oh, oh, I'm not sure if it's funny or not, but it's like I, I recently walked into a client situation and, um, you know, first encounter with a team and I was like, you know, like a typical question, what are you guys doing here, Scrum, XP and so on? They said, no, no Scrum, no XP, uh, we're doing safe. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, so there's there's something about, you know, when, when you take the foundational stuff out, right? If you, what you should say, like about the training, the missing training, when people think like that is the process now, and it was actually not even a large company, so this this overhead of things, and I would assume that whatever is happening on that team level um, is probably very very dark scrum. Like it's not even dark scrum; it's probably even darker than that. Um, but that's just my that's just my observation from from my work. Um, I want to touch on something here with you. You, you also said in your uh, article you were talking about, or actually you, said, you just said it, right? There should be training, and, and, and that's the recommendation from SAFE. There should be everybody trained. Uh, that's not necessarily the case, but you also make another statement about training where you say the first, the first best training is actually not a CSM training for people. Um, what would it be instead? I'm not sure I understood that question. Ask me again. Yeah, so somewhere in this article, you, you mentioned that from a training's perspective, that the CSM training might not be the best training for everyone to take as a, as a foundational. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what would it be, in your opinion? What do you think would be a better approach in training? Well, I, I th I, certainly, if I'm talking about a development team, um, uh, I actually like the structure of the Certified Scrum Developer Program. Um, which requires in the, in the form I like best, 
a brief introduction to Scrum, a day spent on Scrum over the course of a week. Mm -hmm. um, because you do want to introduce iterative development, you want to introduce the notion of delivering an increment of software every so often and so on. Um, but then what you do in a, in, a, in a Scrum developer course is you sit the programmers down with a problem and you have them build it. Mm -hmm. And the way, the way Chet Hendrickson and I teach uh, the developer course, um, we do 90-minute iterations. We plan outside the iteration. We say, you know, we have stories and they pick which stories they're going to work on. Um, but they have 90 minutes to build an increment of software mm -hmm. that has to contain stories with test-driven development, micro-tests, and with acceptance test-driven development, top-level tests that we as customers can see what's going on. And they have to go from whatever, wherever they start, zero in the first iteration, to running software that is tested and integrated in 90 minutes, that's which is a lot shorter than two weeks. That's right, yes. <laughs> and so, of course, you know, the, there are differences. One is which is we don't fire them if they don't quite succeed on the first time out. <laughs> um, but it, it brings everything into sharpness because you have to really figure out, well, you know, if it's 90 minutes, we can probably only do one tiny little feature. Yeah. Particularly if we have to have it clean and nice and tested and all that stuff. And so over the course of, of, of a week, they begin to really learn some of the details of what you have to do, testing, refactoring, and so on. But they mostly, uh, I like to think, learn to recognize that those things are really necessary. Mm -hmm. Because you can't learn refactoring in a few days. You know, you, you can work through two or three of the book refactorings in Mike, Martin Fowler's book in a few days, but you won't really understand refactoring for quite a long time. But what you might walk away from the class with is the notion that, oh, wow, there are these idea spaces, the space of test-driven development, the space of acceptance testing, the space of refactoring, the space of all this stuff. There are these areas of expertise which I need to build. Mm. And then an individual or a team can go back home and realize there's work to be done and there's learning to be done and so on. So for the developers, I would, I would like to do that. Right. Uh, Just curious. For non-developers, yeah. uh, particularly uh, managers and product owners, and, but also for scrum masters who sometimes seem to actually come out of the management ranks when they're not business analysts, um, I would like to see those people getting a lot more training uh, or experience or, or insight into what developers have to do to do this job you're asking of them. Mm. So that they will understand that you can't say things like stop all this testing and just write software, mm -hmm. which people say. That's right. You can't say stop all this refactoring. Why don't you write it right the first time? Yeah. Hello, best programmer in the world, whom I happen to know, can't write it right the first time. All right. Um, that just isn't how it goes. Nothing, nobody does anything right the first time. You didn't tie your shoes right the first time. Remember that thing where you. We couldn't get them untied again for a week because you tied them up. Nobody, nobody does anything right the first time. And here we are writing software that's never been written before because otherwise why would we be writing it? That's right. And you expect we're going to do it right the first time? Impossible. 
So I would like for for uh, the people, in addition to learning how do you manage the product in such a way that you can ask for features every two weeks, or how do you coach a team and help a team to, to do retrospectives and all that, I would like them to come away with an understanding of what it really is to do software in this fashion. Yeah, just and just just curious, uh, yeah. just just curious. How long is the development uh, training you you just mentioned? The developers training in days. The, the certified Scrum developer training has a minimum of three days of mm. development. That's done if you take a CSM first. Um, the way that Chad Hendricks and I like to teach it, it's five days. Yeah, I mean that's an that's an yeah. Now that that is a very big problem because. Nobody wants to spend the money it takes to send a developer away for five days. Yeah. And nobody wants their developers sent away for five days because they have to be programming all the time. Mm. That's, that's, an, so, Ron, that's a very important point you're making, Liz. That, that's, that's also what, what I observed like when in the early 2000s, right, when I taught um, different courses, uh, actually or some of them go, going into this direction of things we're discussing today. Many of these courses were as a bare minimum four days, five days. And yeah. And today, it's like, can you do a half-day training or something like that? It's like, uh, um, I mean, what, what kind of trend are we foreseeing here? I mean, who can, who can uh, deliver a training about a complex kind of thing in a very short period of time? I mean, what do you think about that? Well, it just can't be done. It can't be um, done. What I, what I believe needs to happen um, is this. If you, if you look at the at the Scrum Alliance site, you'll see that there's, I don't know, quarter of a million, 300,000 certified Scrum Masters. Mm -hmm. And there might be, I don't know, I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but there might be 30,000 certified Scrum developers, which means every certified Scrum developer has 10 Scrum Masters. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, and the, the, you can't sell developer training. Um, it's it's expensive. It it's time consuming. It takes your programmers away. Um, all these things, and so I believe that that what has to happen is that we need to change the way developers get trained, and or get get learning is probably better the point because training is probably not the the best term anyway. Um, and I and what I would like to see is I would like to see organizations like the Scrum Alliance and the Angela Alliance using the money at their disposal, and the Scrum Alliance has a vast amount of money, to produce online kinds of uh, courseware that are essentially free to developers, mm. or at least down at the price that developers will pay for a training course, which is $20 a month or something like that, and to get it out there and make it available. And there is some wonderful material out there. Um, Jim Shore is just wrapping up um, his test-driven development in JavaScript series, which has hundreds, literally hundreds of videos mm -hmm. um, that people can can learn from. And it's not very expensive. It's, a, I forget, $20, $30 a month, something like that, for all you can eat. Um, mm -hmm. Joe Rainsberger has a lot of courses. There's a, a number of other people that have courseware out there. And I would like to see the big Agile organizations safe and and Scrum and so on, making those available, um, pushing them, telling people that they should be learning that stuff, 
making sure that every scrum master, every safe master or whatever they call them, <laughs> knows that you need to do that stuff. Mm. Um, now, I had, a, I had an interesting conversation at a recent conference with Dean Leffingwell, uh, the creator of SAFE, about this. Um, uh, we sat down and I, I said, you know, the, the thing is, you you say that that everybody's supposed to be trained and everybody's supposed supposed to be down at the development level doing Scrum plus XP, but there's little or no training in place to do that, mm-hmm. and and something needs to be done about that. And I had had sort of hoped to help him do something about that, um, and he, you know, he he agreed and he nodded, and we also agreed that. Nobody wants to pay for developer training, mm-hmm. and it's very expensive. I mean, the truth is, there must be at least 10 developers per Scrum Master, not the other way around. Yeah. Which means the cost of training your developers, even if it was the same as a two-day CSM course, it isn't. It's two and a half times that. Um, the cost of that would be 10 times more, 25 times more. Yeah. I and just... nobody's, nobody's going to spend that money on those guys down in the, down in the code mines. Right. So... I think uh, my fear, my uh, my inclination, depending on the mood I'm in, is to think that developers need to learn to defend themselves against Scrum and Safe. And in fact, I think there's some articles up on my site about the you know defense against the dark arts of Scrum, right. um, which is that we almost need to create this new developer space within which we help development teams literally defend themselves against Scrum and Agile gone wrong so that they can turn the thing around. And I think that's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would like to see the organizations who are promulgating this stuff get behind that and really begin to make the world a better place for Agile, a better place for Safe and Scrum, and a better place for IT developers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, absolutely. The, um, I mean, I totally share uh, what you just said. Like the, and it's also like even new st- staff coming into organizations. It's not like the uh, software developers joining companies. Let's say the first job out of university. It's not that they're learning these techniques in universities necessarily. So it is important to train them on the job and. And, uh, and get them ready for uh, for something, even if it takes a few more um, extra days. Um, you also mentioned, uh, just to stay around this topic here of that blog post, you also mentioned that Scrum would need a, a little bit of fine-tuning and touching base with reality. Um, what do you think about that? Is, do you think uh, Scrum is too, too elevated, or is there anything you feel like is, is missing, or things that have changed? Uh, what do you see in the industry um, around that? Well, I, I think Scrum, if you do it um, as you're supposed to, not if you do it wrong, mm-hmm. I think Scrum is a pretty decent approach. Mm-hmm. But I think it has, I think there are better uh, components than Scrum. Okay. Um, one that's easy to talk about is the notion of the time boxed sprint or iteration. Um, when a team gets really good, they deliver software every day. And if they're really good, they could deploy it every day. Mm-hmm. And they're not 
they're not having a planning meeting every day and you know for two hours and figuring out what to do and then a review meeting every day for two hours and figure, you know figuring out how they did they know what they're doing and they build something and they they test it and they integrate it and they release it and they they put it out in the cloud and there it is well you know so it's more continuous it's you know what we call continuous yeah. integration mm -hmm. um, it, and people can now do this very 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 uh, high frequency and some people, Arlo Belshi, for example, told me about doing that years ago. Um, and so at the end of being really good, sprints in Scrum aren't what you need. Now, you may still want a planning cadence. You may still want to say, yeah, well, we're going to get together every two weeks to take an overview and look at the plan. And we're going to get together every two weeks to kind of sum up the program with our stakeholders and show them stuff. And so the the sprint planning and the sprint review might be there, mm. but the work wouldn't be divided down into a sprint at all at the high end. But what about the low end? We think, those of us who, who kind of believe in iterations think, well, the nice thing about a time box of a, of a week or two is the team has to learn how to ship software within a week or two. Well, if, they, if the time box helps with that, as you know, unlike any time box, uh, that constraint can be helpful to getting things done. If you know, if you if you have a party tonight, you're going to clean the house, but you're not you're going to clean it in an in, you know an intelligent way. Right. Because it's going to you know you're going to say okay, well, I think what we'll do is we'll put a lot of this stuff in the office, and then we'll just close the office door. Um, and, yeah. You know, you 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 have to figure out a way to do the amount of work you can do in the remaining few hours before the party, and you the time box in Scrum can can help with that. However, if you look at what would happen if you followed the continuous approach at the very beginning, and maybe you had some help, so that you had some very, very decent coach in there, a, a Jim Shore, or, you know, or Joe Rainsbury, or maybe even me, who said, okay, well, we've got these stories that we just got in this planning meeting. What could we code up today and integrate and test today? And you could, that's a, a harder question, but it's, one, but it's also a stronger question because by the time you slice down a story to the fact that you can do it in a day, you have learned already the key secret to continuous integration. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's at least possible that iterations aren't the best idea at the beginning as well as at the end. Mm -hmm. So I would like to see Scrum in particular and the Scrum Alliance in particular, um, looking at these topics and realizing that this method that was invented in the 1980s and began to be promulgated in the, in the 1990s and 2000s probably isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. This, you know, these were not handed down to us on stone tablets from a mountain. And there are things like that right. where we should understand the alternatives and understand more and more when would you do the one thing and when would you do the other and how should you do it. Mm. Um, it turns out that, that Scrum.org is actually teaching a Kanban course now. Mm. Um, I have not taken that course and I don't imagine I will, but at least the notion of looking at a more continuous flow as part of Scrum, you know, is... It's appealing. That's a decent sign. It's a sign that they're at least thinking about 
mm-hmm. about other ways of doing things and, and integrating stuff out. So I think that, and I think there's a lot of places in, within Scrum where you where you would look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, the, is the Scrum master really the solution that they think it is? Yeah. Well, actually, I did. I did have uh, Steve Porter from Scrum.org just recently on a podcast, and he just shared a couple of insights on on exactly that course and and the and, and the, the reasons for moving into that direction. So, so if somebody uh, listening to this episode is is more than happy to go back in the archive and and yeah. uh, listen to that. Now, Ron, I I do want to ask you one more question here uh, towards the end, and I, I wish and I really hope that we can possibly. This, this is so interesting to possibly do a, a second part uh, podcast at some point, at a later point in time, and release that as well. But um, to the end of this uh, piece, uh, for somebody who signed the Agile Manifesto, and it's been a few years, um, I, I always, uh, you know, when I talk about the Agile Manifesto, I say it's the most static website in the internet, um, <laughs> you know, is where do you, where do you personally see the Agile movement is going? It's been going for 18 years. So certain things have happened. What do you see in the uh, near future? What do you see a little bit further out if you can make any kind of, obviously not projections, but what is it you see as a topic right now we should be exploring, seeing any kind of futuristic insights? Well, I think the, you know, the, probably the biggest lesson of agile software development is you don't know what the future is going to be and that's why you do little tiny bits. Um, right now, uh, it seems to me that we are in this phase that we've kind of been talking about, which is that the ideas are everywhere, and, and every everybody wants to be agile now, and that's why um, a product idea like Safe sells so well. Is that it's the story it tells is you want to be agile, and you are a big company, and therefore you need to do big company agile, and therefore you want to do this thing. And by the way, not very subliminally, it's safe to do it, <laughs> and and. There's, that's out there, and safety is as good as it is, and it has it certainly has value. Um, whether it ever makes a company agile or not is is not clear. There's a huge industry of transitions and big companies and uh, consulting firms that used to do something else now now helping you quote transition to agile, and there's all that stuff going on, and a lot of it to me doesn't seem like a lot like what we were talking about in Snowbird. Um, it seems like it's been shaped and structured to appeal to big companies. And big companies seem to like to buy big solutions and they want to roll out safe. Well, you know, if you're doing something adaptive, if you're doing something incremental, you don't roll it out from the top. And you don't anticipate that every place in the organization should be doing the same thing. It's not really good for every place in the organization to be doing the same thing. Mm. Don't build the cars the same way you make the payroll, and you don't build the software for the cars the same way you put the wheels on. The processes, the interactions, the way the people work in different parts of your organization really are inherently different. And so rolling out, some mm. some scheme like this to me is, is kind of wrong. Right. The issue that comes up from that is that there's getting to be more and more backlash, more and more people talking about dark scrum. Um, I was just having an odd exchange yesterday and today with a fellow on Twitter who's who, very bright and who 
who's basically saying, you know, Agile is over, Agile is dead, we should, you know, we have to do something sensible, we should just stop thinking about all these ideas. And I'm like, well, no, see, because there's a lot of good ideas in there, particularly if you would go back to its foundations, mm. instead of thinking that Agile is whatever the guys in the, in the code mines of Ohio are doing. But you could make a case, just as you can make a case that language is what people say, not what it says in the, in the dictionary and what it says in the grammar books. Mm. Uh, maybe Agile is what people do when they call it Agile, and maybe the thing that we wrote about uh, back at the turn of the century, you know, isn't what Agile is anymore. I, I don't, you know, that, that's always possible. Right. So there's definitely a, a back to the, to the things, right? So you make a, you make a copy of a copy of a copy and, and whatever you, you, you know, the code mines and you get these experiences where, with various kind of frameworks and processes. It's just the, the definition of what Agile is seems to get blurry. And, and one of the things yeah. I'm hearing from you is let's go back to the original definition, build from there, see if some of those solutions which claim to be Agile, are they actually Agile? Fact check them. And, well, uh, I, yeah. I might, I might wish for that, um, but I, but I don't believe that is quite what, what will happen, and I don't. It's quite maybe even quite what should happen, but what I think should happen is that we should look to those ideas and the ideas of the many people who have who have built effectively on top of those ideas, and pull out the good bits. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, you're going to develop software incrementally, which I believe you should, you really need to do continuous testing and continuous refactoring. Mm -hmm. you, you can prove that on a 3x5 card. If you write the software in two-week increments, the design has to evolve. And if the design's going to evolve, that has to be done by refactoring because that's what you call the process of evolving design. It's the name of it. Um, and so there are things like that that, are, that simply must occur. And right now, at least, refactoring is the best way we know to do that. There may be some better one. Um, we now know some better ways of testing than we did then. We, know some, we have some better languages for doing stuff and so on. So I'd like mm -hmm. to see us, in a sense, go back to the fundamentals, but not necessarily go back to the year 2000. That's right. <laughs> Just the really good fundamentals, the fundamentals in the hands of the, of the people who are really being successful today, those are good fundamentals and I'd like to, I'd like to see that mm. get focused on. Hey, Ron, I'd can... like to believe that that's what's going to happen. Right. I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that's what's going to happen, but I, that's what I'm working for and that's what I wish would happen. Awesome. We came full circle here with the topic. We're back to refactoring. Um, and maybe, maybe because we c nobody can foresee the future, right? Uh, is maybe we can sit down again at a later point in time and run a second episode and just talk about maybe we have more insights and look back and say we, we you know, were our predictions right, wrong, close, things like that. It would be awesome if you would have time again. Oh yeah, it's, this is fun. We should we should do this all the time. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Hey, Ron. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time here and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Super, thank you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm.
FM. Talk to you soon.